0: the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to Season 5 of the Wine Crush Podcast. Stories uncorked for casual wine enthusiasts around the world, featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley. Sponsored by Country Financial. From origin
1: stories to terroir, here's your host, Heidi Moore. Everybody. welcome to Wine Crush Podcast. We are on our Idaho road trip, and this is our third stop. Actually, we've been here the whole time, but we're actually talking to the owner of the third stop, which is Will with the Veer Wine Project. Yep. Yep. Love the name.
0: Yeah. Well, so technically, it's just Veer Wine Project.
1: Not the. Not
0: the or the Veer Wine. Well, Project. we're gonna
1: call it the Veer Wine okay. Project because it makes it you know feel a little bit more special and official. But, okay. That you sounds know, good. What, however, you want to you know whatever whatever you want to name it i'm going to end up with the the rear yes. all right but number 1 thank you for letting us crash your your party here and set up our little makeshift studio but
0: yeah i'm glad it worked out
1: it worked out perfect like it's this is really great so it's um thank you for all the text messages and all the harassment i think that i've probably sent your way no, so that was
0: not not a big deal thank you for yes. for coming out to Idaho
1: yeah well it's a cool space too. thank you yes cool space um Again, kind of more of an urban winery in the heart of Caldwell um, on Chicago Street. That's right. It sounds really fancy being on Chicago Street. <laughs> yeah. But let's talk some wine. Um, when I met you a couple of years ago, you were, I don't think you'd launched this yet.
0: No. So I think that was 2017 or 18, 2017
1: maybe. or 2018. It was pre-COVID.
0: Yeah. So I was, um, I still am. I still am one of the winemakers for Hat Ranch Winery here in on the sunny slope um, in the Snake River Valley. and. Um, in 2016, the owners of Hat Ranch let me start making some wines on my own. So I was making wines under this label, Veer, but mainly a barrel here or a barrel there. And I'd sell it to my friends and family. And it wasn't until 2021 where I actually opened up my tasting room, got my all my permits in, in order, got my own space, built the tasting room where we actually opened up and started ramping up production and, and starting a wine club and really trying to make this a, a true business.
1: Like a real thing.
0: Like it's a real thing now.
1: Yeah, like a real job.
0: It's a real job that I don't get paid for. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's why I still I still make wine for Hat Ranch and get a paycheck that way. So uh, it kind of helps me pay the, the taste room staff here and helps me, you know, continue to grow this without having to take on big burden of, you know, loans or investors as of this point.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, let's kind of rewind just a little bit because sure. you did not come out of high school or even middle school or whatever and go, hey, I'm going to be a winemaker.
0: Nope, I was going to be a baseball player.
1: Well, every little boy is going to be a baseball player.
0: (laughs) It took me longer... To realize I wasn't gonna be a baseball player right.
1: So what was that actual age? I'm I'm curious what age. I that was actually... probably
0: 20 years old when I like, I'm probably not gonna get paid to do this because I'm not that good.
1: <laughs> oh, well, there you go. At least, you know, at least you hadn't like fully crested into, you know, like your mid to late twenties and into thirties no, and no. lost I, a lot of prime prime time in real estate. Yeah,
0: I think when I was sitting on the bench of a division three baseball team, uh, I was like, you know, it's probably not probably not the career path for me. And uh, that's when I was like, I'm going to study biology. And that's kind of, you know, what started this path towards wine.
1: Okay. So we realized that we're not going to be a baseball player. We decided to do biology. And so where does it go from there?
0: Biology degree at the University of Redlands, which is in Southern California. From there, brewing beer with my roommates in college and, you know, getting interested in fermentation. I met my wife at the university down there and we ended up. You know, through a few years, it took us to get back to Boise, where she's from. You know, she was in medical school, so she was really busy, and I was working two or three jobs, basically, while she was in school. And I worked odd jobs, lumber yards, driving a truck, um, and then kind of found my home working at restaurants and started getting into the service industry here in Boise. And I was managing a restaurant down in, in downtown Boise and still brewing beer at home, and that's when I started drinking more Idaho wines, you know, doing the the wine menus and you know, the local winemakers would come in and try to sell us the wine. And so I got to taste a lot of local wine. And this was probably about 2013, 12 and 13. So I saw that the industry was growing really fast here. You know, I had that interest in fermentation, brewing beer at home. And when my wife finished medical school, it was kind of like, what, what do I want to do? What do I want to study now? And I always thought I wanted to do a brewery. But after drinking wine and meeting some of the winemakers here, I thought, well, it'd be kind of fun to, to try wine. So through a kind of a few lucky events, I, I met Tim from Hat Ranch Winery and kind of told him my interest in, in getting into the industry and to, in the production side, as opposed to like the hospitality side. In 2014, he had an opening for Harvest and called me up and said, hey, I heard you wanted to to do, you know, help out with a winery. And I said, yeah, I showed up the next day and he hasn't got rid of me. It's been eight years. I've learned a lot from him and learned a lot. I went to Washington State Enology Program. Um, so I did that in 16 and 17. And then I spent eight months in New Zealand and worked at a, a small New Zealand winery down there, which did about 500 tons a year, which is, seems really big to me.
1: So how many cases does that equate to when you're looking at 500 tons approximately? Mm, just, for, uh, just for context. 30,
0: let's see, 60 times 500, 30,000 okay. cases. Yeah, that's If my quick math is right. <laughs>
1: we're just going to call it good and hope that you're right and and you know probably assume that you are right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah,
0: cuz 50 tons is about 3000 yeah, yeah, cases. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. There we go. There we go. Got to go backwards sometimes on this. So, what was that experience like? I mean, what did you take away from that?
0: Yeah, it was it was great cuz up until that point, um I'd only worked here in Idaho in one winery. So, you know, my knowledge was kind of limited in just my own um production here. So going to a different winery, seeing how um, they run a cellar, how they manage harvest, you know, how they do their fermentations. The winery I worked for did a lot of wild, whole cluster fermentations. And so up until that point, I've been kind of, you know, traditional, you know, inoculate, de-stem, pretty traditional winemaking, I guess traditional in the modern sense. Um, And they could do kind of more hands-off, low intervention. So I got to see a little bit more of that which I really liked, and I really liked the outcomes of the wines. So I incorporated a lot of that in my winemaking style when I came back for my own wines.
1: Is that where Veer comes from? I mean, like when I hear it, I'm like, because I, I know a little bit of your backstory, and we've talked about this, but it's almost like veering off the the normal path and onto yeah. kind of you know, something a little bit more wild, a little bit more yeah, and, and, crazy. And, yeah, I think
0: there's, there's some of that. I mean, I, I did come up with a name before I went down there But I think that's why it kind of clicked with me. It it was kind of, you know, I had seen wine made a certain way. And you make a great wine that way, too. But for me, for my own personal project, I wanted it to be something that spoke to me a little bit more. And so veering, you know, not making the same things that I'm making for Tim and Hat Ranch and trying my own style, I suppose.
1: Your own spin on things. Yeah.
0: And that's why I call it veer, right? It's a reminder to me to... Change my mind if I want to, try different things, not be afraid of, of outcomes really, and kind of remind me to be curious without being afraid of, of maybe making a mistake.
1: When I was here a couple months ago, you were telling me about this experiment that you had out in one of the vineyards, one of the fields, yeah. I guess. And I think we actually have that in the bottle right there yeah. that you just let's pour that really quick because A, my glass is empty. And uh, I've been thinking about this wine for three months and just wondering what it's actually going to taste like, feel like, smell like. Oh, it's red. It's a red I thought this was a Riesling. No. Oh, look at it. I've been, I've been thinking down the wrong path this entire time.
0: Um, well, I do have a Riesling that, that was, I think last time we talked, um, I do have a Riesling that was whole cluster that was on skin still when I talked to you. That's been since pressed and is now in bottle. But okay. that's my bottle today. Oh, okay. So, but this so this is my vineyard ferment. Again, this is another thing that the winery I worked at in New Zealand did. They didn't like lots of Pinot. I think half of their production was about was Pinot Noir. The concept was you'd pick it, you'd bring a little kind of destemmer out into the vineyard instead of bringing the grapes back to the winery. They'd take each bucket as they picked it, dump it right into the de stemmer, right into the fermentation bin in the middle of the rows of the grapevines, um, and then they'd literally just put a cover on it. And let it sit for until it fermented. So this is what was inspired. This is Malbec that we picked from Fabici Vineyards down near Hat Ranch on the sunny slope. It was about a half ton. Again, we, I did some whole cluster on this because I like doing whole cluster. De-stemmed the rest right on top. This was picked end of October. I think it was October 18th when I was just looking at my notes. And it sat in the vineyard until November 24th. So it was in the vineyard for over a month. And so you can imagine here in Idaho, it's pretty cold that time of year. It was towards the end of harvest to begin with, and then it sat in the cold. So the fermentation went really slow. You know, wild ferment that sat at—before it started fermenting, it was sitting at like 35 degrees. Oh, geez. So it was like basically cold soaking for two weeks before it started generating enough heat to start doing its fermentation. And it finished—you know, I brought it into the winery. It was down to about one brick, so it hadn't completely finished out dry But it was up to 60 degrees, and it was ticking along. So it's a Malbec that fermented like a white wine in the cold outside in Idaho, and it's different than a lot of Malbecs.
1: Yeah, it has a—yeah, I mean, just even the smell. It seems like—I don't know. That's actually probably not very intelligent, but it just—it's not super jammy. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not jammy at all, and a lot of Malbecs have, like, kind of a big, bold smell to them, if I, you know—
0: yeah to me it's a, it's a lot more floral, um, yeah and then and then of course, I had to do even more weird stuff to this. So once I pressed <laughs> it and I went to barrel, I went to neutral barrels, so it was only two barrels with it, so it's not a lot. but one was a, a, just kind of a regular French neutral barrel. and the other barrel, what I did is actually um, it was right after we racked some Chardonnay, so the, one of the barrels was actually I just filled right on top of the Chardonnay lees. So I didn't rinse the barrel or anything. So one barrel is aged in a Chardonnay barrel on Chardonnay lees. Interesting. So I I kind of sometimes get like a little bit of that diacetyl kind of buttery thing from the Chardonnay. And, you know, I wanted to to give it a try.
1: (laughs) I mean, why not? I guess, you know, worst case scenario, you turn it to vinegar, (laughs) let it really sit out or, or you, I mean, you dump it or you sell it for cheap. I mean, there's there's always an option for it. You sure, know, you can do something with it, or blend it out, or you yeah. know, whatever. But this is, yeah, I mean, it's it's not as big and bold and I guess jammy like like yeah. a, a malbec. It's yeah, it's an easy drinker. Yeah, it's it's I think not that, super acidic, especially and, with
0: that cold ferment, right? You you don't extract a lot of tannin, you don't extract as much color, and to me, it kind of preserves a little bit of like kind of light light fruity notes, and then that super super floral
1: yeah, it's pretty. The color is really, be- Malbec is always pretty. Yeah. There's yeah, always totally. that kind of deep purpley, you know, color to it. It's always so pretty.
0: So. You know, and, and I think for me, it was, it was an experiment, right? I had seen it done in New Zealand with those pinots that they did. But when I was pulling it out a barrel to get ready to bottle it, I was just curious, like, what's the chemistry going to be on this? Is it going to have a ton of VA or have weird, no- high pH and weird numbers? And sure enough, chemistry on it from the lab was like, oh, it's perfect numbers for a red wine, low VA and everything. So it's pretty amazing what you can do.
1: Let's shift gears a little bit and let's sure. talk about this Riesling, this orange yeah. wine that you bottled today. People think orange wine, like I mentioned it earlier and people are like, Ooh, did they actually use oranges? <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's really not the way that works. So yeah. yeah. So let's talk about that because it is, I mean, you see it a little bit more cause it's become a little bit I don't know if kitschy is the right word, but yeah. it's people are seeing it a little bit more and they wonder what it is.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of like this natural wine movement. I think that's happened um, recently, but it's basically yeah, like it's a white wine that you treat like a red wine in some cases. So it's white wines that you let ferment with the skins on them. And a lot of white grapes aren't white. They got some golden color to them. So when you ferment on those skins, you start extracting some of that golden color as well. Also, you get some oxidation, which happens, which also kind of enhances that golden color. So you end up with a wine that has this orange hue to it, and there's varying degrees, depending on what grapes use and the chemistry of the wine itself. Um, but they can be kind of tannic white wines um, that can have a little bit of funkiness to them. I mean, they can be weird, for sure. You know, And I necessarily don't love orange wines, the taste of them, but I do kind of like the you know, trying stuff out and making different things. So the orange wines were kind of like a natural progression. It's like, I've never done this before. Sure. Let's give it a shot. And I try to make them in a way that they're approachable for people. Even if you don't like orange wines, um, I think you might like the ones that I do. They're, I think sometimes with the orange wines or natural wines, some people think that the winemakers just kind of like, just let it go and just see what happens. Where I I still kind of keep track and Intervene. I'll, I'll use sulfur. It's not a true natural wine. I'll I'll fine it. I'll rack it. I'll make sure it's nice and clear. But I just kind of keep that concept of skin fermented whites, basically.
1: It's a, you don't see that a lot. I mean, usually that seems like the whites are pressed, you know, pressed fairly quickly, mm-hmm. and you don't get a lot of the skin contact and stuff like yep. that. So it's again, varying off the path, yeah, trying I, something new
0: for the most part. When people are making white wines, you want to get it off the skins quick because that's how you get like kind of cleaner, fresher. You know, fruity white wines that really showcase like varietal character. But when you like leave it on skins and expose it to oxygen and stems, you kind of lose a lot of varietal character and you get kind of some some secondary flavors and they can be interesting or they can be weird.
1: (laughs) That's a good way to put it. And, you know, but there's a drinker for every bottle. Yeah. It seems like there's, I mean, it's, I see some that are like way funky for me. Like I Mm -hmm. don't enjoy them, but they have a following. And, you know, this particular winemaker always sells out of his wine. And, mm. But it's not my jam. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just no, not yeah. right for me.
0: And that's kind of like, the I'm looking for customers that are just like curious to try new stuff. Sure. Like, oh, I've never had this. Like, I love when people say, oh, I've never had an orange wine, or I've never had a, this type of blend, or I've never had a, you know, a whole cluster Merlot, or, you know, I made a champagne style out of Moscato from the Hat Ranch Vineyards Moscato. And it's like things that people maybe haven't tried before. And it's kind of hard to do because it's like a lot of wine drinkers have drank a lot of wine.
1: <laughs> oh, for sure. And, you know, but you do kind of get into the ruts of, you know, kind of the same thing, you know, different styles, but same mm-hmm. varietal, you know, or, you know, different toir, but, you know, same varietal, whatever. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the other ones that you do. Sure. What Because you have a whole list over on the board yeah. of just your current releases. Yep.
0: So let's see. I've done, I do barrel fermented rosé i've done that a couple of different vintages now um
1: and that one has a cool name and i actually all your wines have a cool name <laughs> most of them anyways
0: i know i don't i kind of got started with these like french terms or names and i just kind of went with it so yeah soigné elegantly dressed it's a barrel fermented rosé so
1: is that what that means yeah elegantly so- dressed oh i like
0: it you're so soigné <laughs> yes
1: i know i'm gonna have to start using that
0: so it's, that one is, a. Uh, have done it at uh, three different vintages and I'll do it again this year, but it's basically what I try to do is, it doesn't matter what the grape variety is, but I'm going to like foot stomp it. So I'll get the grapes in, whole cluster, foot stomp it so I get kind of a light extraction on the color, press it, go straight to barrel, and then let it barrel ferment, wild barrel ferments. So they ferment dry, they're not super sweet or fruity, they're a little more on the savory side and you get some texture from the barrel. I'll stir the barrels for a couple months as well. And then those are filtered and bottled. White wines, I've done a Gewürztraminer in the bat in the past, which I did kind of in a dry style. This past year I did a just a kind of a regular Riesling, off dry Riesling, which was a wild ferment, but in tank. What else have I done? Carmenere GSM, I did a GSM blend, and I'll probably that's gonna be one of my product lineups now is my GSM, because I, I got contracts for Garnache, Syrah Moved finally. And, I was just going
1: to ask you to define that, but you, you know, oh, yeah. na- naturally just shoved it right in yeah. there. Yeah, Grenache,
0: Syrah, so, yes. Ovedra, which I think grow really well here. They're Rhone varieties, and a lot of people make really good Rhone reds here in Idaho.
1: Yeah, and you see that combination... Not often, but you see that combination with the GSM, it seems like, mm-hmm. more often, or maybe that's just the way it's marketed, and people just like that blend.
0: I think Grenache to do as a single varietal is kind of hard, mm-hmm. but I think it makes a good blending partner. So I think that's I think a, a main reason you see it in blends a lot. It's a, it's a grape that is kind of really light skin. It's pretty big, and it, it's really prolific, so you can get a lot of fruit. So it's typically in those blends, it's kind of like—oh, it also gets super high alcohol. So you kind of need to tamp it down with some other stuff as well.
1: So you don't get totally bombed. Yeah. Too high of alcohol. Yeah.
0: Too hot. So it's like it's it can be like fruity and boozy. Yes. So some of those other stuff will kind of bring it, bring it back and give it some more color and some more something a little bit more interesting than just a kind of a fruit bomb.
1: Yeah. And it's always appreciative when you get something like that that has so many different layers and structures to mm. it to where again it takes it back to being interesting. Yeah. Yes. And fun fun to open the next bottle. So I know you have some Barbera over there, which is one of my favorite rats.
0: Barbera, yeah. So yeah, that one I got from a tiny, like a home vineyard. So this guy, it was 2018. I was buying some good virtue from a vineyard in Payette. And the guy, Mike, he was funny. He's like, yeah, I got my buddy. He's got like, he's got some grapes to sell you if you want some. And I was like, sure. So we went, walked over to his his friend's house and he's got like a quarter of an acre and he's got 150 plants of Barbera. He's like, yeah, I'll sell it to you. So it was literally like a one-off thing where we went out and we just picked it ourselves and brought it into the winery, and made it, and you know, people loved it. So I don't know if I ever would make that again. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> <So> <laughs> but how might as well try fun it. <laughs> to find something like this little hidden secret in yeah. somebody's yard and yeah, and that's yeah. kind of
0: the fun thing when you're first starting and you're making a small amount of wine. You can kind of do that kind of stuff. And now you know I'm going to make more wine this year. It's like I don't I don't know if I can, can do that, but I want to try to remind myself that that's kind of how it started is is trying these fun things and working with whoever I can
1: and these little secret vineyards that yeah. are yeah. <laughs> yeah in the corners of, of Idaho. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What else? We talked about your champagne one. So let's kind of circle back to that one again yeah. because you don't see that very often with what you, you did.
0: Yeah. So it's, um, Muscat o- Ottenel from Hat Ranch winery for Hat Ranch. We make a dry white wine out of it and it's one best white wine in Idaho multiple times. Um, in twenty. 19. We had a crop that was enormous. It was like over 11 tons. So uh, Tim let me buy a ton. And yeah, we just picked it early. It was in August, actually, end of August, before it got too high in alcohol or sugar. So then we basically pressed it, went to barrel, did barrel ferment on it, let it age in barrel for about six months. Then that was racked to tank. We blended some sugar back into it and some more yeast and bottled it. And then we let that Referment ferment in the bottle and age for about 18 months just on its side. So you get the kind of the yeast breaking down and building some more flavors and textures in the bottle. And then again, just disgorging it and getting it nice and clean. And it's very interesting. So we made it like, you know, tried to be very traditional in the the champagne style. Um, but it's, you know, it's got Moscato nose for sure. Like this kind of like spicy, fruity Floral nose, but then it's got this interesting texture and there's nice super fine bubbles to it. it's it's a it's a cool wine
1: <laughs> it's it, I mean it's a little bit confusing for somebody that drinks bubbles because it's it doesn't have the big cage and no, like yeah. whatever you actually capped it,
0: yeah, I just got a beer cap on it,
1: <laughs> yeah, which is simple, you know, but usually you see that as more of like a carbon infused wine versus yeah, you sure. know an actual true champagne style. so yeah. I did not know that, so that's, um, Yep, I just you didn't, know. you
0: know, I don't have the, the equipment. I just had this little hand capper to... Oh, it's
1: so expensive, yeah. the equipment for champagne. It it's really just, is. It's crazy. And can't imagine there's probably somebody over here that really does that as a business at this point, N- so... No,
0: we, we do have one, one, um, one of my good friends, Haley. She has 3,100 sellers, and all she does is sparkling, and she does it in that like, kind of traditional method. Okay. So she's the one that actually kind of, like, talked me through, like, this is the process and... This is how we do it with our setup, right? Because that's the thing is like any of this winemaking, there's like the textbook way to do it, but you need the equipment to do it. So, you know, talking to other winemakers and talking to other small wineries especially, it's like this is how we solve this problem. We can't buy the X, Y, and Z equipment, so this is how we kind of come up with our solution.
1: Yeah, get around it in a creative way sometimes. That works. Yeah, Well, it's good when it works. Yeah. Yes. When it does work, you just take that page out of the book and you try something different next time. People need to know where to find you. For somebody that's really looking for great wine just in general, because you do make really nice wine. Thank you. But also things that are a little bit off the beaten path or veering, you're a great place to pick up something that's new and interesting and fun to try. Yeah. So we needed to figure out where to find you and Mm -hmm. how people buy your stuff.
0: VeerWineProject.com. Not the... Not the, just veerwineproject.com if you're not in the area. And there's, you know, we can ship to most states. And then if you're local in Idaho, um, swing by the tasting room in Caldwell. Um, The Boise Co-op Wine Shop has some of our stuff too. Yeah, online or swing by the tasting room every Saturday and Sunday.
1: One thing I forgot to ask you was of everything that you do and you've done, what's the favorite?
0: Do, what's the favorite? Yeah, Uh,
1: favorite child today.
0: It's actually this Vincennes. I really like it. The fruit was awesome when we got it. So, like, once you have good fruit, you know, you're just trying to not try not to mess it up. And it was the it was kind of the first red wine I made post New Zealand when I incorporated some of that whole cluster and wild ferment. And, you know, it turned out really well. So it's kind of inspired me to keep going with that kind of style. So, yeah, this is the one I've been drinking, I think, at at home the most
1: the one with the fancy label that you labeled for us today.
0: That's the Vineyard Ferment. Oh, that's the Vineyard Ferment. It's the other one. It's the first one we started with. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, the one that's named after my my mom.
1: (laughs) I can't see the label. So, you know, I I had to make things up and I chose. I always choose wrong. If there is a 50-50 shot, I always choose wrong. And this is why I do not gamble (laughs) very much. And hardly at all because it gives me a stomachache to to, to gamble Well, as always, you are always fun to be around. There's always something new that you are teaching and telling me. And again, I appreciate you letting us squat at your yeah. place here and Anytime. kind of do our little dog and pony show.
0: Yeah. Sorry if there's, you know, random doors and fans turning off here and there, but it is production area.
1: <laughs> no, it's it's actually great. It's uh, the, I think the train out back has oh, been the, yeah. the biggest noisemaker, but it just adds ambiance to the whole thing. So... I will be back. Perfect. And I hope people buy lots of wine. Yeah. And uh, I'll give you a call when I'm back around.
0: All right. Thank you. Thanks again. Cheers.
1: Cheers.